Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Yeah, well, good, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back here to Strength to Strength. It's good to be here with you, um, brothers and sisters from, from all around the world. Um, so, the, yeah, the purpose of, of Strength to Strength is to advance Jesus' kingdom by tackling thought-provoking topics, stimulating candid discussions, and by sharing faith-building testimonies. This morning, uh, with a topic that we have here um, in front of us, we're going to be looking at um, a really uh, maybe all three aspects of this. Um, joining us here is Joel Nisley and uh, Drew Latin, and they've experienced, uh, they've interacted with this personally, with this movement that we're looking at, the NER, um, or so-called, so-called NER, and uh, so they'll be sharing some of their some of their experiences, and of course, um, engaging this topic. And uh, so we're we're excited about that. Um, I myself have interfaced with numerous uh, brothers who have been pulled into this, um, and have dialogued with some about this. And so I'm I'm excited personally to see us um, engage this topic here this morning. Um, it is a sobering topic. Um, and uh, our desire is to do it in a way that with brotherly love and, and consideration of, of those who really, um, I think many um, that I've interacted with, you're wanting to follow Christ. And so it's, uh, we don't want to engage this topic lightly, but do it um, with, in the way that, that Jesus would. Um, so yeah, before we get started here, why don't we just bow our heads for prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercies that are new this morning. Thank you for brothers and sisters um, who from around the world who are gathered here uh, this morning, who uh, care about uh, following you, who have a, a desire, a burning desire to follow you, who have a burning desire to see your kingdom come on earth, Lord, um, and to see your will be done here. And so, Father, we know that um, there's there's many voices that call for our attention, and it takes much discernment, and that shouldn't surprise us. We we know that Paul told Timothy um, that in the end, perilous times will come, and so Father, we we don't come here with a fatalistic spirit this morning. We come here with much hope, knowing that you're at work, knowing that we have your written scripture, uh, knowing that we your Holy Spirit is within us knowing that there's brothers and sisters who we can trust and learn from. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, that, that you would um, bless Joel and Drew in a special way as they grapple with this subject. Um, Father, you know the, the, their journey and, and how um, they, they care deeply to see the church being faithful um, to you and to the laws of your kingdom. So, Father, just ask that you would guide and direct our time here this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so Joel and, and Drew, I'll turn it over to you here right shortly. But before I do that, I would like to just introduce each one to you. Um, Joel Nisley comes to us from uh, Massachusetts. Uh, Joel grew up in Indiana, but, but has lived in El Salvador, California, and Ohio, and recently moved to Holyoke, Massachusetts with his wife, Sarah, and three children. They are part of Disciples Fellowship um, as some of you would know Glenn Martin, of course, here on the call. Um, Glenn is from that same congregation. And uh, he also works with Glenn in sales uh, at a storage shed and gazebo business there. 
Um, Drew Latin comes to us from Wisconsin. Uh, Drew lives with his wife and four children there in northern Wisconsin, where he teaches English at a tribal school and served with a local church. Before moving to Wisconsin, he lived in Thailand, serving in church planting and English ministry there. So Joel and Drew, welcome here. Um, I don't think this is the first time for you to be on the call, but um, first time to be presenting. So welcome here to Strength to Strength, and I'll let you take it from here. And of course, at the end, brothers, um, we'll be opening it up for questions. So be considering um, uh, this, and, and you, can, you can drop them here in the chat or just give it at the end uh, in person. So, all right, all yours. All right. That's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yes. I make a few comments here at the beginning. Um, in looking at this topic, uh, our strategy is to target false doctrines and not individuals. Uh, we'll mention some names of some global leaders uh, in this movement. Uh, we try to avoid uh, naming names in people in Anabaptist circles or Anabaptist adjacent uh, that are involved in this. Uh, we want you to be able to recognize the teachings and compare them with scripture and look at the fruits in the lives of the people that are, are um, embracing these doctrines. Another uh, thing to mention, we're not cessationists. We believe God is still at work today, that he can still do miracles and operate through gifts of the spirit. Amen. But um, So that's not the, the key difference. Often mm-hmm. we want to dismiss Say, well, you're just a cessationist if you critique um, these kinds of hyper-charismatic uh, movements. Uh, but that's not the case. Um, I think we'll, we'll go through what some of the concerns are with this movement. Um, and as far as our experience with it, I think I'll let uh, Drew start out with giving some of his background. Yeah, it is exciting to be here. And just to confirm with Joel, um, definitely not a cessationist. I, I at times with with some of the excesses in the charismatic movement I've seen, I've at times been attracted to the cessationist approach, but um, that approach is so unbiblical that I can't have much appreciation for for a theological cessationist position. Uh, yeah, a lot of this um, comes from my experience um, living in Thailand for the better part of ten years. And seeing um, apostles, uh, quote unquote apostles from the United States, coming over, flying over to Thailand and giving teaching on identifying other apostles and prophets. And they wanted to come in and explain that the reason the Thai church was deficient was because they lacked the authority from the United States to establish apostles in this network. And they said, okay, so we're going to do this loose network and we're going to come to Thailand and teach you how to find apostles so you can then have revival in your church. Uh, later, um, I actually had the opportunity um, <laughs> and I almost felt bad taking advantage of the opportunity when I heard some of what was being taught to, to sit and listen to um, see P- Peter Wagner, who interestingly, uh, Peter Wagner was, is a longtime um, evangelist, uh, teacher, theologian. He was quoted when I was going to missions training at the Mennonite Missions School in Thailand. He was quoted as kind of like the lead church planting guru. But later in his life, Wagner shifted hard into the charismatic movement. And then what we're discussing today kind of 
established and coined the term new apostolic reformation. So sitting under Wagner's teaching, I had previously been kind of ambivalent about it. Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not real comfortable with this idea of like parachurch authority that's somehow approaching the level of like Pauline authority or, or Christ's authority, the 12 apostles. But I, I wanted to support what my local brothers and sisters in Thailand were doing. When I sat under Wagner's teaching, though, um, it was so contrary to scripture, so counter to the kingdom principles that I was trying to bring and share and grow in with my Thai brothers and sisters. I ended up walking out halfway through the service. And just as an example, he um, spent most of his time talking about the seven mountain mandate, which we'll get into Joel, talking about how we need to infiltrate the the systems of power, the the systems of politics, the systems of the arts, the systems of uh, finances, and just kind of take them over for Jesus. And he had this whole complicated system about, you know, tearing down strongholds in these mountains. I remember one specific point, he talked about a, a husband and wife couple that were leading a mega church in Singapore. And she had a very established career as a pop singer in China. And he, he just said, well, she can use her sexuality to glorify Jesus and said this to the Thai church that was listening and got so graphic with his description of using her sexuality as a pop singer slash pastor of a mega church that the um, Thai translator for Peter Wagner was blushing. And it was around that point. I was like, I think that the Thai church needs a revival, but I don't think that's what they're actually selling. Yeah, my my uh, interaction with this, I think it goes back to see, watching some people I knew, uh, acquaintances, friends, end up at Bethel Redding or in California or other uh, similar churches. Um, and some of them, after being influenced pretty heavily by some Anabaptist or some teachers in Anabaptist circles, and then uh, they came closer to home as... Um, some friends of mine got more and more involved in this teaching. Uh, some of them ended up being appointed as apostles. And it. Uh, I started hearing some of these same teachings that I had seen coming from places like Bethel Reading, coming uh, from these people. And this network started developing out of that. And for my wife, um, her her parents are agnostics, but she saw plenty of new age um, philosophy and teachings in her upbringing. And so she started recognizing elements from the new age. She said, oh, this is just a Christian version of, of new age teachings. Uh, things now in practices like uh, positive affirmations. Uh, well, they just kind of twisted it a little bit, did the same repeating these things, but now it's, it's uh, truths from scripture and we're repeating these to ourselves. Um, another, actually, another thing, real, we'll get to this later, but a real emphasis on um, not causing division. And I've just recently realized that that comes from, that's also a new age uh, teaching of oneness, that, uh, you know, distinctions are bad. And so, so um, we just don't talk about our differences. Uh, we emphasize um, yeah, we're, we're all one. We're all 
and really that's so the Christianized version kind of takes um, takes the that um, you know the Bible teaches against causing division, but it's the people that are bringing in different doctrine. That the false teachers are the ones that bring division, which is very ironic. Where these people were saying by by even just pointing out the scriptural truth on an issue uh, that that somebody might not uh, be practicing, uh, you're causing division. So it's the just flipped around from from the scriptural uh, or from from what we see in scripture as far as the words. So, Jill, I grew up with. A lot of my my aunt was was very charismatic growing up and had a big influence on my life. A lot of the positive affirmation stuff was is really just kind of a hallmark of a lot of the charismatic movement. What are some of the things that make the new apostolic reformation so called um, different? Like, does it what? How does it exist in a in a way that's different from sort of the traditional charismatic Pentecostal movement? Well, I mean. The one, one thing, um, there is a discussion as whether it actually exists. I think it may, may be good to address that first. Uh, is it some conspiracy theory? Though Michael Brown mm-hmm. says it's a, a conspiracy theory among people that, that are critics of, of the movement, and it doesn't, um, there is really no such thing. Um, there's, so, and even the label, <laughs> New, New Apostolic Reformation that comes from Peter Wagner, but um, other people say, well, they're not with Peter Wagner's organization, or um, they don't necessarily agree with everything that he stood for. And so um, some people have suggested other labels like Independent Network Charismatics. There's a, a book, um, The Rise of Network Christianity, and they those authors use that term to try to come up with something more neutral and um, some people call it a restoration movement. A uh, Mike Winger, that's a, he's a um, self-described charismatic. He says he calls it the signs and wonders movement associated with Bethel. Uh, but it, it's a hyper charismatic movement. And I think we'll mm. look at some of the, what some of the practices are, what distinguishes it. It does kind of, there is a lot of overlap with, like word of faith, uh, the word of faith movement, uh, whereas that's, I think that's where some of the overlap that you're referring to there, Drew. Um, there's some, some of those teachings go, you know, we create things with, with our words. Um, that's there in, in both circles, I would say. Um, probably the distinguishing characteristics, and we'll look at more, but the, the two, two big ones, one is the, um, the apostles, um, a different view of apostles. Uh, so uh, apostles as offices. When I first heard uh, among some of my friends talking about apostles, okay, I, I have heard this from traditional Pentecostal groups from, um, even, even now we have movement, uh, groups like followers of the way that, that use apostle to mean a church planter. Um, sure. and they commission people as church planters and that's, that fits right in with what we see in the New Testament with um, people like like a number of the associates of Paul that are, that are called apostles, uh, not not the twelve, but people like Timothy and and uh, Silas and Barnabas. Some of those are also 
uh, grouped in with as ones that go plant churches. And so, but that's a different, the way these people are using it is different. Um, so usually you have an apostle, you have, uh, and often this is, okay, I, I should point out, these are terms they use among themselves. You know, usually you don't hear it as much when they're talking uh, outside their own circle. So, so um, they, inside the circle, they know who's apostle, who's a prophet, um, and usually an apostle and a prophet work together. Um, now, they may not use it as a title when they're talking uh, to people outside their circles. But that's, and so, but really, the apostle speaks for God. He has uh, God's authority, and so, um, and really authority like, like that of the 12, as, functionally anyway. Um, so it should be noted, it, it should be noted even at that point, um, some of my, my friends who would be part of the New Apostolic Reformation or adjacent to it would say, oh, no, 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 we're not claiming the same authority as the 12. But you kind of have to look at how it's being lived out. And even even if it's not technically at that level, is it healthy? Is it balanced? Is it accountable? Is there brotherhood there? Yeah, and then the prophets uh, might might be good to mention. Um, the prophets are also um, they usually work in in teams with the apostles, and so and they are. It, I think the best analogy is like the Old Testament prophets, where they are speaking for God. It's kind of a common thread is is these people are um, receiving revelations from God, and that's why we should listen to them. That's um, so they take those things that the, the, the church is built on the, on the foundation, of the apostles and prophets, and they bring that and apply that to themselves. So they are, they, so that's why in their theology, it, it is so important for apostles and prophets to be over the church. Yeah. Yeah. Comments on that. Yeah, well, um, and we'll get into this with with some of the hallmarks we see, but I think perhaps one of the clearest examples of this would be uh, the Passion Translation, which which claims to be a translation, and it also claims to well not really be a New Apostolic Reformation, but especially initially, um, Brian Simmons is the Passion Translation was explicitly affiliated with this kind of movement. And he actually claimed in promotional materials, and this isn't digging into conspiracy theories at all. He said he went up to heaven, met with Jesus, and Jesus said, okay, I'm going to give you downloads to your brain to give you this translation. And, and brothers and sisters, it's not a translation. It's, it's not even a, a meaningful commentary on scripture. It, it makes the, the message, Eugene Peterson's the message, look very, very accurate and profound. Um, but because he feels like, and this is a hallmark of, of a lot of the, the independent charismatic network types, the new reformation types, we can kind of circumvent scripture itself and find some new, exciting message, some new, exciting authority beyond the apostolic tradition. And this is, this is a big burden for me. Not that we don't need the Holy spirit to make the word alive in our hearts, but if we're if we're going to something like you know downloads from heaven to give us new insight into scripture, I'm not accountable to anybody. I'm not 
um, necessarily balancing this with scripture, because honestly, scripture is such a diverse collection of readings of texts. You can read whatever you want into it, whatever message you feel like God has given you. Um, so, so yeah, the, the combination of the apostolic authority and the new messages from apostles really do provide, well, it's really a foundation for a different kind of church. And like you mentioned this earlier, Drew, but the, it's not a matter of um, King James versus other translations exactly. on this. This exactly. is uh, in its own category altogether. Uh, I know I, I did mention Mike Warner once, but I, I would recommend for somebody that wants to look more into this, into the Passion Translation, he has, um, if you go on BibleThinker.org, his uh, what's called the Passion Project. It's a series that, that he did um, on even having different trans, uh, Bible translators and scholars uh, that review parts of the, the Passion Translation. Um, I heard a, um, a Mennonite pastor reading from it yep. uh, in a meeting I was, uh, and he had no idea. He just thought it was another translation. And we have to be clear again, like the, the durability of God's power and, and the creativity that God can use. I am a hundred percent convinced, even in our circles up here in Wisconsin, I, people have brought the uh, passion translation to church. Um, I, I always hesitate to call it translation because it's like barely even a paraphrase, but anyhow, um, like God can still use that. He can use a talking donkey. He can use anything. So if you've read the Passion Translation, quote unquote, if you've appreciated, say, music from Bethel Church or whatever, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying that you're on the road to heresy, but we need to sound an alarm here. Yeah. On just a few more, more comments on the Passion Translation. Uh, so Brian Simmons... Uh, anyway, in some of the, that analysis uh, that I referred to, it, it looks at um, all the phrases that he added. You know, if you, you compare with the original, uh, he's adding a lot of his thoughts. And a lot of it's the buzzwords. Uh, some did, Mike, Mike Winter did this analysis where he looked, he searched for buzzwords of, among the, the hyper-charismatic movement in the Passion Translation, and they're all over the place, realms, and and uh, I forget what some of the anointed one, and mm-hmm. things that anointings and, and, and all these things were were there. Um, and he, when you search those terms, they came up all over the place. And then you go compare with, with other translations, um, and those terms are not, I mean, are basically simply added in those spots to, to, uh, I guess bring more passion into it, and mm-hmm. and really the the, the name even camp comes from. Uh, he's careful where he seems to be careful where he where he um, talks about this, but it, it actually came from. He said he had an angel named Passion mm-hmm. that that was uh, blessing his ministry or whatever, and that's why it's the the Passion translation was was uh, didn't help. Anyway, yeah. Well, the, as we're go ahead. 
As we're um, kind of touching on on Brian Simmons and the Passion Translation, we should also bring in again not to vilify anyone who's been blessed by by these programs or teachings, but um, talk about the Bethel Redding and um, Bill <laughs> trying to blank Joel. Bill the, yeah, yeah, Bill Johnson, and and some of that to me that feels like a lot of the the front facing aspect of this movement that we're trying to get at. Uh, I have multiple friends that actually, because I'm not from California, I don't, I only know a couple people personally, but uh, several people and friends of friends that have actually been in California and kind of got, again, for lack of a better term, sucked into Bethel Redding and the uh, Supernatural School of Ministry and some of that stuff. And just, it kind of just takes over their life and the whole the whole principle is if we have, if we want to see genuine revival, we need the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is evidenced by supernatural gifts of healing. And this is where I imagine some of our audience has, have experienced this before. Someone comes up to you and, you know, can I pray for you? Are you experiencing any physical pain? They lay hands on you and then they say, okay, are you feeling better? How much percentage are you feeling better? That um, technique is is propagated to some extent by by the Bethel um, Church and the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, and it's all it's all this idea that we need revival, we need a reformation, and it's going to come through signs and wonders. It's going to come through apostolic authority, and it's going to come through prophetic messages. And on that revival, I think that is something focusing on. I mean, we. I, it is true that we need revival. I, I think that's, we could always grow in our walk with God. But um, for Bill John, I think Bill Johnson's a good one to, to look at here. Um, for him, it's basically revival at all costs. And if uh, that means taking in, and, and they're pretty explicit about this, taking in some, some new age practices, they said, well, the, uh, it's just a counterfeit of the real thing. And we had it first. So we have to rediscover these things. Um, if it's that, if it's um, just creating a certain atmosphere, a certain mood, and they, and that is often done with music. I think that is a place that, that music ties in and, and it's a kind of a common theme. And you look at other, even other uh, groups when they're they're um, when things are really supposed to be happening um, the music, they always have the background music going and it, it kind of hypes people up as, um, as they're seeing some, um, or, or hoping for some, some, uh, signs and wonders and, and, uh, outpouring the Holy Spirit, whatever they, they call it. And it, it's, uh, it's always present there in the background. It kind of, as if, if they're laying hands on people or whatever, then the music kind of grows in intensity. There's, there's a lot of uh, that kind of thing going on. So it's a particular vision of revival and then trying to produce that. Um, and that's what I saw in, in, in some Anabaptist circles uh, where someone uh, is, some people were brought into that by really, really focusing on revival and revivals of the past and trying to, to recapture that. Um, I think we, need, we really need to be make sure that we're, we're seeking after God and then he can, he can do signs and wonders. He can do whatever he wants to, but 
he needs to be the focus. Uh, that's what we see in the book of Acts. It was the, the signs followed. Uh, it was, it wasn't the focus and it was kind of incidental to, you know, Paul or whoever it was. They didn't make a big deal of what they were, these, these signs that they were doing. It was, it was more on the message of the kingdom and, mm-hmm. and God confirmed it. God did the work. Yeah. And just to provide a little bit more of kind of a scriptural framework um, along with what you laid out there, we see so so often we get the signs and wonders thing backwards in the book of Acts, the pattern is, and even throughout the epistles that when, when God's message is going out initially to a new group that hasn't heard it, you know, those concentric waves of outreach and the gospel spreading in the book of Acts, when the gospel hits a new group, there'll be a sign and wonder to confirm that. Yes, this is from God. And it's a clear, easily verified sign and wonder. It's not, you know, lengthening somebody's leg or, or somebody feels 20% better from neck pain. Um, It's clear and verifiable. And then as the church grows and establishes the real fruit of the spirit is what we're looking for. So signs and wonders are not the mark of, vast spiritual maturity. I mean, it can be, but it's not the primary mark. The primary mark of vast spiritual maturity is being like Jesus and being like Jesus in love and unity and patience and kindness and holiness and following what he teaches. And this is why so much of the epistles of Paul's teaching to the growing church is about growing in Christ rather than um, this is how you lengthen somebody's leg. Yes. And I, I may mention on the, the lay lengthening thing. I mean, that's a, a hallmark of Todd White. Um, <laughs> well, many people. <laughs> I yeah. remember seeing that trick um, when I was, you know, 10 to 15 years old and we were attending a, uh, an Assemblies of God. So it's, it's an old trick. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a uh, sleight of hand trick thing where they move the leg, but they go up to p- random people on the street and say, um, start start asking them questions. Do they have some back pain? That kind of thing. And then they say, "Oh, it's because your leg is your one leg is shorter." And so and they show it for the for the person. Um, and then they turn the turn the foot, turn the leg, and kind of gradually um, and pray for the person as they're doing this. And and supposedly the leg is is uh, growing is growing out with the other. And then. And then, uh, and that passes as healing. Um, so there is plenty of that in in Balfour in those circles. I haven't seen it as much in in the more Anabaptist background kinds of people, but I I do see um, what I do see there is this whole um, emphasis on. Uh, that, that if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. That yeah. um, and, and they, some of them may may say, "Oh well, I won't pray for a person unless unless I'm you know God has shown me that He's going to heal this person." So mm-hmm. I'm not just praying for any random people. But I mean, that's some of the teaching I heard personally. But mm-hmm. um, I which I, I think that goes against what what scripture says we're to ask God as a good father. We're supposed to ask him for things. It doesn't mean that he'll always heal. I mean, we see this in, in Paul and his different ones of his, his companions, they weren't healed. Um, But, and it wasn't that they didn't have faith for, for healing. 
Yeah. And, and I would add another, another aspect and you've, you've laid out some really done a really good job laying out some hallmarks, especially that you see how the new reformation comes into the Anabaptist church, but like bottom line, a good litmus test in my mind, if somebody's bringing in a coercive spiritual, spiritual experience, what do I mean by coercive spiritual experience? If somebody is coming in and saying, in order to have the fullness of Jesus, you have to experience this, or I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to make you feel better. 20%, 40%, 70%. If you feel that kind of pressure, panicky feeling rising up, I almost guarantee that's not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not force people. And if you feel this external pressure from somebody, if somebody's claiming authority and wanting to bring that down on you to push you in a direction, just take a breath, give it a beat and step back and say, hey, I don't need this. I have Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. I have his word. I have my brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't allow yourself to be coerced or kind of pan- <clears throat> excuse me, or kind of panicked into feeling something. Sure, and and this authority, uh, this power. There, there's an obsession with power and authority, and exactly. that is, it, it's a, uh, it's said that that, um, and it really flows from God to the apostles and prophets. And so, and if you don't understand where it's coming from, it may not make sense at first. But that just, you know, it, it's okay. The the Bible uses that Jesus said. You know, all all authority, all power is given to me. Um, and the, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples. But um, they, it gets twisted around. And I yeah. think that's why, especially um, Anabaptist background, traditional um, background, people where they're used to a strong authority structure uh, mm-hmm. are especially susceptible to it because uh People, if maybe they didn't fit in, maybe they weren't the obvious. A lot of these probably weren't part of the authority structure there. And so now this all at once, I, I've seen this happen where um, now they're the authority. If they're mm-hmm. the apostle or the prophet, they have authority and they speak for God. And so people need to listen to them. And and um, I mean, it fleshes out different, you know, in different people. It, some of it mm-hmm. has to do with personality. Not everybody takes it. Uh, to that, but um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with their concept of authority. And mm-hmm. and actually, I'll bring in right here um, the true kingdom of God in, in Scripture is completely reversed. The greatest is exactly yep. the the it's not re- really. I would say in in this movement, it ends up being. Uh, what Jesus called the rulers, how the Jew, rulers of the Gentiles lead. They're, they're the great ones. They're the, uh, that's really what it boils down to. Um, and, and uh, they will give a, a lot of it's even their Bible. Suppose their teaching from the Bible is given, uh, comes out of personal revelation. And so they say, um, God showed me this. I'm seeing, you know, God revealed this to me. It, it's things that language that we're, we're kind of used to hearing, exactly. but it means something different. Uh, so in their case, so I've listened to some of the, the Bible teaching and they'll give an interpretation, but it is based on revelation on their personal revelation rather than on anything in the text or in the context of it or, or, um, 
even original languages or whatever, what yep. the original intent of the author, it's, it's completely based on, if you realize um, what, what's behind it, it's actually just um, something that they're, they're basing it on, on their personal revelation. Yeah. And, and I, I should, maybe we should take this one step further. Um, I, I'm not sure where exactly you would fall, Joel, but there's so, it's so common for people to sit down and say, so what does the scripture mean to you? Or and, uh, Bill Gothard um, kind of introduced this concept to a lot of conservative circles of rhemas. And I'm not dismissing the idea of like God giving a personal meaning to scripture for you, but that's not primarily what this is about or that's not primarily what scripture should be about. And when we use sloppy language, like, Oh, God told me, or I feel like God wants me to tell you this. It opens us up, opens us up to, to receive from, from those where, where it really isn't safe or healthy. And I really liked what you said, the king, kingdom theology, um, you know, from a lot of my brothers and sisters in an Anabaptist background, historically, it's actually bottom up. That's where the that's where the input comes from. That's where the growth comes from. And this is what we see in all the parables. You know, you have a mustard seed and it grows from the bottom up. It's not top down. You have a little leaven and a loaf that expands without really having any clear, you know, somebody coming in there with a pump and pumping up the loaf of bread. It just kind of happens organically. Mm-hmm. And we don't see that that sort of biblical organic growth through the the new apostolic reformation so you've touched on you've touched on um some of these hallmarks a a belief in the present day offices of apostle and prophet that govern the church and the authority on the apostles and prophets to speak for god and then this personal revelation um did did we touch on the the focus on signs and wonders (laughs) have we flagged that horse enough i think i think we have some anyway uh, I'm thinking it would be good to, to look at, especially the Seven Mountain Mandate. Um, since My favorite. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a core of the teaching. Um, and that goes, it, it's not just, um, I mean, C. Peter Wagner uh, advocated it, but it's, uh, Lance Walnow is, mm-hmm. uh, he is um, one that really, I mean, he's re- he wrote a book with Bill Johnson about the Seven Mountain Mandate. Um, I mean, it wasn't original with them. Supposedly, it came by revelation to Warren Cunningham and Bill Bright, but in the seventies. But um, he really took and ran with it, and and he is, um, and he's had some some interaction with with some of these people from Anabaptist backgrounds, mm-hmm. and and really for some of them, uh, I think maybe it's good to mention what the the mountains are. I think you mentioned mm-hmm. some of them. There, Drew. So I'll just uh, read that. So education. So the seven mountains of culture that they say we should be taking over. It's a dominionist um, view that the seven mountains are education, religion, family, business, government, entertainment, and media. And they say once you have apostles, I mean, I think in, in C. Peter Wagner's version, once you have apostles at the top of these seven mountains. So they're, they're governed by principalities. Um, And so the authority of the apostle is needed to, to um, take over these principalities to, to um, uh, like, I guess, control, uh, stop their grip on these mountains. And then Christians are 
or to be at the top of these mountains. And so what some people will do with the seven mountain mandate, even though they accept um, the teaching, they say, oh, well, I don't go into politics. So that's the government mountain. Um, and they, they say, I don't, I don't believe some of the Anabaptist background people say um, that's not really for us. Uh, but they're still advocating all these other mountains. Um, and business, I think, is where it's a real yes. um, a, a real um, temptation, I think, for people from Anabaptist background, because we're hardworking. Um, we we, uh, you know, business is something that they tend to be good at. And so to OK, so we can build the kingdom with business. I mean, it's kind of there's a there's a here. There is a counterfeit and there is a truth. Um, yeah, we should be doing everything we do for the glory of God. That, that part's true, but this is a sign of God's blessing. I mean, this ties into another big emphasis of, uh, both word of faith and, and NAR or this movement, whatever you want to call it, um, that wealth is a sign of God's blessing that, that if we are really, um, if if everything in our past is taken care of, we should be uh, prospering. We should be prospering in our health and our finances. And, and so a business that's growing and growing and, and um, that's a sign of God's blessing. And, and that is there. There's they have prophecies about uh, a great end time uh, transfer of wealth that the, the wealth of the world is supposed to be going into the church and the, and the, the church takes over uh, that and becomes more and more powerful. That's yeah. kind of their vision. I mean, there's, there's kind of two, some of them are post-millennialists, some of them are, are dispensationalists, but they both kind of have that same, same thing in common. I mean, people like IHOP, I think are more dispensationalists. We're, we're Buffalo's post-millennial, but yeah. and it, it kind of boils down to the same thing. And this is, this is really in my mind, you know, coming into it, going to a seven mountains conference um, with Peter Wagner talking, this was sort of the big red flag for me where, like you said, you have these, and the idea of a mountain is that everything flows out of the mountain and kind of trickles down. And so if we can get to the top of the mountain, if we can get to the source and then just influence all of culture. Um, I would go one step further, Joel, and and note that some of these other mountains of uh, education, uh, Anabaptist folks tend to be very proud of their education um, and and just how how successful they can be. Family is very um, seen as a real hallmark of of you know God's blessing, um, and yes, definitely business. And I'm not saying God doesn't bless through business. God doesn't bless with, with, you know, solid families and low divorce rates and, and, you know, nice Christian schools, but over and over again, these things are trotted out and culture is trotted out. Oh, well, this must be true because it works for us. And what happens again, coming back to business is, well, obviously God is blessing us because of our successful business. And I I've seen it happen in subtle ways and explicit ways where somebody kind of takes on authority in the church or in a movement like this because they're financially blessed because they have a successful business. And that is so contrary to like what, what the um, epistle of James would teach or what Jesus would teach in the sermon on the Mount. And we've got to, we've got to push back against that, this idea that 
that physical blessings are necessarily tantamount to spiritual authority or spiritual blessings. And one, one uh, thing that takes a lot of these people into is politics, uh, the government yeah, sure. mountain, um, especially uh, with the last, last election uh, with tr- uh, a lot, of, a lot of these people were uh, Trump supporters. And, and I've seen some people from Anabaptist backgrounds really getting sucked into that. Um, it, it varies. So some people specifically, I think it's strategically said, no, uh, I don't do the politics. Uh, and so, but that doesn't mean that, but they still embrace all the other things. They, all the others, apostles, signs, wonders, uh, they're still, and so that doesn't get them off the hook, I would say. Uh, but for a lot of them, it does suck them into the, the politics um, with, and it, it comes several ways. One is, um, one is this dominionist thing trying to take over government. And so if you have a leader that's, that um, says things that, that um, the Christian right wants to hear, um, they, they tend to support that person. And then the other thing is, uh, is tied in with the views of, of um, on dispensationalism of Israel. So if a, 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 a particular leader, a government leader, uh, supports the, the secular nation state of Israel, that they are, they are, uh, blessed because, because of the blessing on, on Abraham, that, that, uh, kind of thing. So that's another way that people get into this. And Lance, like I said, Lance Wallnow is, he's a, a big one on, on both seven mountains. And also, um, he was, he was a big Trump supporter saying Trump was Cyrus, that kind of thing. So some people, um, don't get sucked into it that way. Yeah. And again, we're, we're really kind of seeing as this influence of the new reformation or new apostolic reformation kind of filters out into a lot of different areas. It can be harder to pin down. But I, I see the same thing among a lot of conservative. I, I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh and voting and being a very politically conservative, religiously engaged family. And now as I step back from some of that, some of my Anabaptist friends are kind of pushing forward and engaging. <clears throat> and it's this concept, the the way I hear some of my friends talking about Donald Trump and and um, some of the other movements around, you know, stop the steal and such. It seems like what we're saying, it's, it's the same framework as some of the new affirmation where, well, God's obviously blessed him and God obviously wants to bless us through these physical ways, through political power. And even if I'm not going to vote, I know that God wants to use Trump or whoever to give us blessings. And it's like, wait, the value system, you just traded out the value system of the kingdom for the value system of the world. And that's what the seven mountain mandate does. It trades out the value system, the upside down economy of Jesus kingdom for the twisted perverting influence of these earthly kingdoms. And, and one way that they try to take over some of these mountains is by, by binding the, the principality that's over that mountain or over like a, a region. Uh, there's this, this yep. uh, teaching there that, um, and the way you do that uh, sometimes it really sounds pretty pagan, uh, or I, it boils down to, to being pretty pagan, but this this emphasis on 
um, getting up on a uh, maybe a high mountain or hill overlooking an area and then having a, a, a prayer meeting up there. And and um, I mean, it, it sounds like a lot like the Canaanites, but the the you know, and, and either either you know, pour, pouring uh, or anointing the the river with oil or or um, blowing a shofar or something to to uh, I, I don't know to claim claim the the area for for God to to um, th- that uh, take back the the area that that uh, that the Satan's uh, principality has been over and and take that for God so really take a mm-hmm. kind of a, a magic formula kind of approach to it um, yeah. No, no, there is a place. Or I, I guess I'm thinking back to some of my experiences, both, both growing up and then my my decade in Thailand and such. I remember going up with with groups of young people in our missions program, and we would go up to the lookout high above the city in Chiang Mai, and we would pray for the city as we could look down upon it. And that's, you know, and things like prayer walking, I like to walk in the morning when I pray, because it keeps me from falling asleep. <laughs> but but some of these things, if you take them a couple notches over and all of a sudden it's like, I'm claiming spiritual territorial something, it, 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 you can kind of feel when it begins to shift. And it's something not to be scared of, not to be like, oh, I can't pray on a mountain um, or else Joel Nisley will come after me. Um, <laughs> but it is something to be aware of. Am I actually moving toward a sort of paganism? Another thing about the this whole territorial spirits and claiming that there are, there's demonic power. And I see this so much in the sort of Anabaptist political type movements, you know, Oh, there's demonic power behind the, the COVID vaccine. There's demonic power behind the um, Donald Trump, whatever. It tends to dehumanize and over and over again, what we're called to in scripture is, excuse me, is to recognize the humanity of those around us. And so if I trade out seeing Jesus in my brother or sister, seeing the least of these as someone to care for, and I instead say, oh, there's a demonic power controlling this, I'm, I, I'm losing the opportunity to love because we're not supposed to love demons. And so if I can say, hey, there's a demon in this system, there's a demon controlling this, which there's an, a kernel of truth there, but it's twisted then, I don't have to love them anymore. I don't have to show care for them. Instead, I can just pray against them. And it separates me. It dehumanizes. And and once again, it violates the divine economy. Yes. And and actually, that, that brings up a good point. Um, and if you critique these these kinds of teachings, a lot of times you're you're labeled as having a religious spirit. And and what they mean with with those kinds of things, they actually mean a demon. Um, they, you know, we, we use that language a lot of times, this yeah, that's right. kind of spirit or that kind of spirit. And we mean the attitude of the person or the, but what they mean by it is, is actually a demon controlling it. Um, that that's uh, yeah. Some of the, the terminology is good to be aware of that, that. That's what they're saying. They're actually saying that it's a, it's a demon yeah. uh, of, of, uh, I'm trying to think some more examples, but yep. a, demon, uh, a spirit of spirit of Jezebel, a religious spirit. Um, yeah, yeah, those those kinds of things. Um, empire spirit, where there's a a uh, that would be like spirit. a hierarchical at, at the church, you know, with a char- church 
that has a strong authority structure. Well, that's an empire spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you touch a bit, um, Joel, we have about what, 10 minutes left or whatever. Something you brought up when we were talking about this is how, how ecumenical and kind of the, the looseness of this, it's not actually like a denomination. Can you, can you talk about some of that? Yes. I, and what I've seen in, in the, the circles that, that are kind of coming out of Anabaptist circles is, is really a mirror image of, of the larger movement. It's a kind of a, a loose network structure. And that was something back to um, the rise of network Christianity, uh, that book, um, they, they highlight the problems with, with these apostles, um, this apostolic authority and that kind of thing. But they said it's actually pretty effective in spreading, spreading the message. It's um, they, they do say other people could be using some of these, these methods that they're using uh, to, to coordinate, to um, like using technology to, to, uh, to coordinate. They work together to, to have conferences. And you see this both in the larger movement and in the, the Anabaptist adjacent ones um, where they do, they, they are big on conferences, books, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and so you have these apostles coming together to do these events and then, but they're, they're, uh, so they, they help, um, it, it brings their, their, uh, followers, the, the people they're influencing together. And so they, they kind of, uh, boost each other that way. But then if, if you try to hold them accountable, um, well then they're, they're just, they just came together for an event. I mean, you see this in the bigger movement, somebody like Todd White gets invited to, to Bethel, um, I mean, he's been there. I, I think he, he's, they have worked with, together many times. But then, if if you try to call out some of Todd White's teaching, well, then uh, they just they just are together at some conferences. They don't endorse what what Todd White does. That that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and uh, well, if you have more comments on this, group. Yeah. Well, no, I think that I think that's good. Um, I guess I just come away. It's frustrating to me. Because I have friends that are charismatic. My, I, I have a podcast that I, I run on the side with a friend who really appreciates a lot of the charismatic movement. And he's always teasing me about my obsession with the new apostolic reformation. And he's like, it's just a boogeyman. And I, I actually get that concern. It is hard to pin down. So what we're trying to do is to emphasize tendencies. Yeah, I think initially uh, Wagner was trying to establish some sort of like discrete movement, discrete, um, like a, a unique movement that didn't happen so much. And he's passed away since, but the influence is still there and the tendencies are still there. And it's not really new, like you said. Um, but the pat, the desire to have something more, have something different. It's a legitimate desire. It's legitimate to say my, my church is maybe, lackadaisical spiritually or my own life is lacking the power of the Holy spirit. I want more. That's a good desire. We've just got to watch where are we going to, to grow and how do we measure what a a spiritual reformation looks like? And that's why, that's why we're sounding the alarm. And that's why, even though it's a little hard to pin down, I think we've, we've both seen some real tendencies here 
that are consistent across the board in a lot of these circles. And and it's important to say, hey, let's get back to the real thing. Let's get back to King Jesus and the way his kingdom is supposed to work. Yeah. I just mentioned one thing I, I heard um, somebody saying, well, so the International House of Prayer, there, there are different places. So I, I have I had heard somebody uh, asking about a particular local um, IHOP say, well, those people aren't, they aren't uh, affiliated with Bethel. And I went and looked at their website and I looked at the, the, and, and the leaders are, um, it says they're, they're uh, trained Sozo counselors, which Sozo is, is Bethel's um, inner healing deliverance ministry thing. So the connections are there. So I think it's good to look at, um, look at those kinds of connections Look at, uh, I know we, at the beginning, we looked at, uh, talked about the fruit uh, that comes out of the person as a person promoting themselves. Like, I think it's, it's a tendency among, among a lot of these apostles to be promoting themselves. And maybe not it, maybe um, it's just with stories about how God has worked and, or things that God has revealed to them, speaking with, with that kind of, um, of, um, authority or whatever, just, yeah, this is how it is because, and it's coming out of a, well, I have this revelation. uh, And on that basis, I can tell you uh, how it is. I think it's good uh, to look at um, what the true kingdom of God is. I think it'd be a good place to end. Um, This whole thing stands in contrast to the true kingdom of God. Uh, embraced by the early church, uh, the early Anabaptists, other kingdom groups. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, I, I don't hear much emphasis on that from these groups. Um, this whole idea that we're a called out nation of strangers and pilgrims, um, that we're shining as lights in the darkness. Christ is the king. Um, they go through persecution, hardship, uh, but we have sacrificial love, love for our enemies, uh, extending this kingdom until, until Christ has triumphed and his reign is complete over the kingdoms of this world. It's this huge contrast between um, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of Christ. Uh, Drew, you have any, any uh, final comments, sir? That's, that's really well said. And, and again, I, I don't want people to go away saying, oh, we need to, you know, we need to go protest outside the local International House of Prayer <laughs> um, or, you know, rip out, you know, rip apart anybody playing, you know, the Bethel song, No Longer Slaves on their guitar. But what I'm, what we are saying is come back to the kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's ultimately going to overtake. The thing is, Ultimately, Joel and I are the dominionists. <laughs> we ultimately believe that Jesus will set up a kingdom that cannot be shaken. His kingdom cannot be destroyed. But that's not the position we're in now. And those who would try and tempt us with satanic power, with um, earthly power here and call us to, to use, to look at earthly power and economic influence as a substitute for spiritual, for spiritual fruit, that's a problem. And that's not from, that's not from our King. Amen. I think it's what we have. Thank you um, so much. Can y'all hear me? 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you, um, Joel and Drew for, for um, sharing your thoughts on this and, and um, helping us uh, making a very good attempt at helping us understand a little bit um, the leaders maybe, and some of the influences and some of their thinking um, behind this. One thing I want to mention here, and just in case I would forget is that Joel has written an article on this and we have it on our website uh, attached there with, with this talk. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, so, so I'll be opening up here shortly for questions. Uh, we've had several come in as well. Uh, one thing to note is we're, we're um, the, one of the things we, we, we want, we don't want to do in this talk is, is, is talk about specific people or ministries necessarily um, uh, within maybe the Anabaptist adjacent movement in particular, as, as Joel has talked about, uh, we want to just grapple more with, with uh, maybe the, some of the big global leaders and then some of the, the, the thoughts behind them and try to counter that with a true uh, b- biblical understanding. Um, so to uh, Joel and, and Drew, I'm not sure who you want to answer this, but from my th- one thing I'd like you to maybe lay out is maybe two to three things uh, that would be um, a foundation for us to prevent us from getting sucked into this movement. Uh, I know you, you've, you've, you've shared some things along the way, but I would love to hear, um, well, maybe you know, one or two things from you, um, Joel, and one, one or two things from you, uh, Drew, that would be a safeguard against getting sucked into um, some of the, the, the error, the heresy, uh, really, uh, of this movement. I would say uh, study study scripture. Yeah, really, really know, uh, get into, into to, uh, you know, and, and not just knowing, because a lot of these people do, they cherry pick verses here and there. And so look at what the scripture teaches as a whole on this topic. Um, I think that's what, what happened to me. I know, I think this was, I was sharing on, on, uh, first Corinthians 11 on, on, uh, head covering. And what I was challenged with is that, well, by someone who didn't see it the same way, they said, well, well, uh, be careful that you're not, um, following uh, father, son, and holy, Bi- that you're not worshiping father, son, and holy Bible. Um, and that was just, just from, from laying out what scripture teaches on this. Um, and I, I know there's different interpretations, but, but I think that's what I've seen is, is I think people aren't really grounded in, in scripture. We can evaluate these things from, from the scripture. So that maybe that's one thing, but I mean, and not, not that we want to leave, uh, lose sight of the person uh, of Jesus and he's revealed in scripture. And so it, it should take us to him. I mean, I'm not arguing that, but, but, um, yeah, these, these things are, are even that thing is, can be used by some of these people to, to downplay scripture because it, it, uh, you could challenge their, their position from scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for me, I'm, I'm really seeking to grow in spiritual contentment in Jesus. The, the way that this, this and other movements tend to work is if you're dissatisfied in your spiritual experience, I'm going to give you something extra. I'm going to give you a little buzz. And the way we see, I, I'm thinking of uh, Philippians three with Paul. He, he says, yeah, I want to know Jesus. I want to, to um, 
be found in him, um, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. He has this lofty desire. And then he says, you know what? I haven't attained everything. I haven't gotten it all, but I forget what's behind. And I reach forward to what, what my calling is in Jesus. I pursue my goal. I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly calling Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. I think there's a maturity that we should be looking for in being content with what we have. That doesn't mean being um, complacent, but saying, Hey, if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling um, like I, I need more of Jesus, if I feel like I don't have the fruits of the spirit, I'm not filled with joy. I don't have the passion. Mm-hmm. Well, just go to Jesus. <laughs> He's there. <clears throat> and I can <clears throat> turn to him and find that life in even in the quiet places, I don't need a whole big conference to get all jazzed up. It's not always bad, but it leaves us in a susceptible place. So the first thing I would say is find contentment and be content in Jesus. And then the second thing, engage in the real work. Like if we want revival, if we want reformation in our churches, if we want to see the world one to Jesus, well, go preach the gospel, go care for widows and orphans, go disciple people. Like there's stuff we can do. And if you're actually moving, if you're actually working in what Christ has called us to do, you're not going to need training in how to, you know, do these drive-by healings that, that Bethel specializes in. Mm-hmm. Sure. One Thank more you. thing I would, I had answered one. That's, the other one would be accountability. And, and mm-hmm. we are, as we are leading out that, that we're accountable, that we're not, um, that it doesn't become all about us but we're hearing from other people and, and one other thing um on on um about not not naming particular people i'm i'm happy to answer questions uh personally if if uh, you have a question about a particular group or or whatever or how how they're connected um yep. yeah contact me personally and sure. i'm willing to answered individually sure absolutely and i think you have your email address there on that document you wrote that's on our website okay good all right thank you um so we've had a couple questions come in but i want to open it up here for any live questions first uh yeah any, any questions from the audience here would you just name the seven mountains I'll I'll pull it, look it up here. Okay, education, religion, family, business, government, entertainment, and media. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, and then right along with that, um, I'm going to just there's there's a, a kind of a question or maybe 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 a statement that a brother would would want is wanting to know if this kind of captures maybe the difference between the seven mountain uh, mandate and then also the kingdom of God. And he says this, he said, is it fair to say the seven mountain mandate is to infiltrate existing structures of influence while, or maybe, and then compared to Jesus, while Jesus and his kingdom is an alternative society, which invites people into it. Um, is, is that a kind of a good way to maybe um, delineate between this this particular view of, of the seven mountain mandate versus 
the kingdom of God that, that we believe that um, care deeply about that Jesus is calling us into an alternative society. Is, is that kind of a good way to, to, to delineate? Yeah, I think that, I think that does well. Um, I would, I would use an even stronger word than infiltrate based on what, what Peter Wagner said at that conference, sure. they, they want us to take over, take them out. And there's a sort of, you know, uh, the Joshua invading Canaan and give me this mountain sort of mindset. So it's not even just, you know, kind of infiltrating and bringing some influence is taking it over and pushing mm-hmm. everybody else out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. On that, uh, Peter Wagner used the term kingdom theology in, in that, or I'm, I'm sorry, kingdom now theology. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that's often used. He, he equated the two, the, the seven mountains and, and kingdom now theology, um, which that that is different from kingdom theology. It's it's a that's where the, the, this question was getting at that difference. Uh, kingdom now is we bring heaven to earth, to use Bill Johnson's term by, by, um, you know, taking over and, and bring signs and wonders, I think is maybe a summary. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Um, you know, for myself over the last two or three years, um, this is where it really came obvious to me with the elections, how, how political these folks are. And then also how actually not only the, the large followers, obviously, and, you know, they were huge supporters of Trump and actually Trump visited some of their churches and they were in the, in the, in the, uh, his office laying hands on him. But also um, is how, how some of these Anabaptist folks who have bought into this, this uh, movement, how political they've become, even as far as showing up some of the prayer rallies, you know, in Washington, D.C. and getting up on the stage and praying uh, with very, very political tones uh, or even words like, I'm not going to get political, but, <laughs> and they go on and get political. Uh, and so, yeah, um, they've lost that firewall, really, that, that Jesus given to us. This, this, we do never exercise power over, which totally cuts out politics. It's just, it's perpendicular. It's the two can't go together. Uh, and so I, I like that. Um, this idea of, of is we don't, we don't get involved in these, in these structures, but actually call people into another society and that is the way of jesus upside down kingdom um okay so let's go ahead and and see if there's any other live questions here from from our audience or or comments yeah so i just have a question um if somebody would say to you that god told me such and such uh, what is your response So um, I, I'm kind of the one who went on that hobby horse a bit. For me personally, um, I'm, I'm a pastor here in Wisconsin. I kind of, first of all, want to hear that pastorally. Like, and so a lot of times people will say, you know, God told me this. And they're meaning, they're not meaning that I have received a divine revelation with authority equal to Peter and Paul. And so I want to hear the heart behind that and not make assumptions and not pounce on them. Although sometimes <laughs> my, my less redeemed tendencies would want to say, how dare you say that? Um, but what I do seek to do is model, model what that, what a healthier way of framing when, when I feel the spirit prompting me or whatever, look to model what it would look what a better way of speaking of that would be. And, and I would guess, I guess I would say where I start to come out and say, Hey, you shouldn't talk like that is when 
I sense that someone is seeking to hijack the authority of God's word or the authority of the Holy spirit for their own opinions. And that's where I'm like, wait, wait, did God really tell you that? Are you just trying to borrow some of his authority to boost your own, your own ideas? Yeah, I think there's a, um, a way to, to be aware of, of, uh, our limitations or that, that we don't necessarily, uh, you know, is it, you know, is it God? So, sometimes I think we can hear from God. I think he can, he, he can prompt us and things, but, but, um, there, there's a way to, to share that in, in that way, that this is, I, I'm sensing this. I am feeling that this is what we should do, but that doesn't, you know, let the, let the person decide whether it's from God or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Let them evaluate the fruit of it. Yeah. And just to follow up, I, I believe that sometimes God can come and, and give me a message for somebody, mm-hmm. but that's, that's unusual. That's, that's unique. And I need to take that really seriously before I claim that. And so to, to kind of interrogate in my own heart, what's going on is, is important. And so then if God is speaking to me, if I do have a word for the brother sitting next to me, then when I stand up, I haven't, you know, been the boy who cries wolf a hundred times. And there actually is, is a reception to it. And like Joel said, both now and earlier, the idea of accountability in that is important. Jumping back just to the, to the, the politics question, because I think it's important um, that some of these people will, there are individuals in, in uh, that I would say are really are apostles and, and in this really in this movement, but they say, okay, I don't get into politics. I, I mentioned this before, but it's important to notice. Um, but then the people that they work with do get into politics. So, uh, and they're, they have no problem um you know, working with these people and, and uh, promoting the teaching, all the other teachings. So that, that's one thing to be mindful of. You can have your cake and eat it too. Sometimes, you know, we talked about how the, the some of the charismatic and new reformation type people, um, instead of dealing with the people in a loving way, they just say, oh, they're demons. And then they can attack whoever. We're sometimes guilty of doing that, but instead of calling them demons, we're calling them heretics. We're saying, oh, there's bad theology. And so if I can identify the bad theology, then I can come out guns blazing. And that I just want to underline, highlight capital letters. That's not what we're doing. We can't, we're not saying, oh, well, they're part of the new apostolic reformation. So let's come out guns blazing. And that's part of the reason we're not naming names in a public forum either. So let's love the people, the broken people. Sorry, I applaud you for I applaud you for talking about accountability and, and working with a group and falling under an apart. That's probably one of the hardest things I ever had to learn. I'm used to doing things my way, and I found that Jesus' way is in a group. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. And and you are a beautiful example of that. Uh, I've seen brother. You've challenged me in that way. You really have. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Very, very good. Um, all right. Well, we're cruising towards 720 here really fast. We should wrap this down. Um, there was one question that came in here via, well, there's several that came in. I won't be able to get them all, but there's one here uh, that came in via an email, maybe from someone called in possibly. 
uh, saying this regarding this morning's talk, how much was the holiness movement with their second work of grace influenced by this movement? I'm curious if you have a response to that. I, I'm pretty familiar with, I mean, I went to a, a holiness Bible college. For a Interesting. Years. Um, so I'm pretty familiar. With, I would say I didn't really see much of it there. I mean, the, Okay, so it is interesting to trace the history back, and really the holy, the conservative holiness movement, um, Wesley and Nazarene, the, those uh, the less conservative ones would they parted ways with uh, at Azusa Street. They were some of them were involved early on in, in the Azusa Street revival, and and then in the early 1900s, and then they the the way they practiced the gift of tongues. Um, became kind of a dividing point between those movements. And so the one, uh, and then out of, so then you have kind of the rise of Pentecostalism. Uh, William Branham is, uh, came soon after at, kind of out of that movement. Uh, they kind of parted ways with him, but, but it's interesting people like Chris Valentin and Bill Johnson at Bethel still look back to William Branham and, and say they want his mantle and his, um, I think a lot of more people are aware of his, of his, his he was a, a false teacher. And, and there's still a lot of people that, that um, follow him, but it, it's interesting that, that and they really hold him up. Um, it's interesting that, that these, so then he had an influence on the latter rain movement. And then there was the shepherding movement, then a, what the third wave of the latter rain. And then, and now the, this new apostolic movement. Um, that, that's kind of the, the, the quick history. Sure. And I don't know. Yes. And there was some of that second work of grace uh, teaching on both sides of that after Azusa street. So I would say it, yeah, it, it's pretty distantly uh, related, but there is still some of that among, among people like Todd White. I hear some, some, some similar, uh, ideas from him mm-hmm. sure thank you okay well i think um w- we probably should be closing down here so um joel and drew thank you so much for coming on and sharing um with us uh, we really appreciate that um so god bless you for that and like i said um on, on our website there's more more information um that i'll have after what well, why don't we just have prayer here and then after that i'll have an announcement about next week um joel could you lead us in prayer please thank you brother for this time that we've had to spend together and look at um, examine this movement in the light of your word we pray that you would um, continue to direct us and help us to be um, faithful workers in your kingdom people that can can uh, rightly divide the word that we would uh, examine these errors in the light of scripture and, and uh, really uh, help uh, each other in, in staying accountable and in growing in you that your kingdom would grow uh, in all parts of the world that the, the light of the gospel would shine uh, and transform people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
All right. And thanks again. And next week, we'll, Lord willing, we'll be back here together. Um, and our talk next week is by Aaron Kreider. Um, and he's be sharing on the topic titled The Name We Trust. So Lord willing, we'll see you all next next Saturday morning. God bless you. Iron Goodbye. Sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.